Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Happy Hump Day Wednesday to you, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you folks could join Daniel Medina and myself, John Grace, on Fiscal Fitness. Uh, we're going to be talking about a number of items this this day, and I guess uh, so many people are excited that, what, less than two weeks we will have an election, and I guess that night we'll see people cry and people laugh, and maybe some people will be doing exactly both of those things in the same household. So stay tuned. It certainly won't be boring. We, but what we're trying to do with you, and, and again, thank you for joining us, because we think it's important for people to get a, their bearings, right? If you, Some people can use a map, some people use a compass, but you know, a lot of people are literally lost in space. And that means that we just don't know what we're doing, and maybe we get an idea, and then we, we follow through on it, but we don't make sure that we're following through on it in such a way that it doesn't jeopardize us. We, you know, when you go for um, a situation with your health, it's not uncommon to get a second opinion. And we see a lot of folks just kind of uh, wading in the water themselves, diving in the water themselves, uh, hoping for a set of results, but not looking at it in, in such a way where they might be prepared for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. We work at Investors Advantage. We've been around since 1979, putting custom uh, investment programs together for people, um, one client at a time. But we work in such a way that we've learned so much from our primary group of clients we work with, which are rocket scientists and various types of engineers. And what we learn from them, I think, is appropriate and applicable for so many situations. John, Daniel, show me the worst scenario. And if I don't like that or I don't find that acceptable, let's look to see what I can do about that. We think that's a good approach because, frankly, we see so many people who are like the proverbial ostrich, which unfortunately has a reputation uh, to stick the, their heads in the sand. And, and if that's true, uh, let's just notice that uh, we're exposing some very dear parts dangling in the wind when we stick our heads in the sand because we haven't really looked at it from the standpoint of how bad could it get and how can I make it better if I can't live with that? Or if it's acceptable, then clearly if, if it gets that bad and it's okay, anything between how it shows up and how bad you thought it might show up will probably be just fine or certainly one that you can live with as opposed to one that you regret. So we're going to ask the question, do investors get what they pay for? And I'm going to answer it by saying sometimes that's exactly what happens. We'll get into those details. But again, we've been told that investors have been told by the securities industry, our peers, that it's about how cheap you can invest and you just buy the index and you just keep adding to the position. And, and, and then certainly that works a lot of time. But for some people, they are more judicious or their goals have changed. <clears throat> or they recognize, excuse me, that uh, that worked then, but now I'm in a different scenario. I need to play the game a whole lot differently. I mean, we, we, we like basketball. I've noticed that the Lakers this year, guess what? They've got defense down. And we used to give the Lakers a whole lot of crap because they weren't, they were very weak on defense, but notice how they've changed their agenda. So we want to touch on this. Uh, do investors get what they pay for? And then we'll, we'll talk about one of the things that we're seeing, uh, unfortunately, more and more often, where, um, you know, should you take a loan from your retirement account? And uh, again, many people do. Uh, and then they find out that maybe they could have done something different, but that's after the fact. So we're going to have Daniel, the main math man here, do some math for us. If you had an account, let's say a million dollars and you kept it intact, 
versus having one where you took out only $100,000, do some things around the house, take care of some of the things that you need to do. Uh, and of course, you make the promise to yourselves, the breadwinners, right? We're going to put this money back, right? 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 Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll talk about how often that happens. But even when it does, what we're going to ask Daniel to do is to show us what the difference is to your bottom line. If it were the case that you were able to leave that money intact, as opposed to only taking out 10%, and let's suppose you do pay that back over a period of time. But here's the question. In 20 or 30 years, let's look at the account value because certainly the one where we didn't disturb it is going to be larger and, and in some cases much larger than most of us expect than the ones where we're paying ourselves back under the best conditions because typically the truth is most of us just don't do that for a host of reasons. And then we want to look at uh, the biggest, what's the biggest difference for investors between millionaires and the rest of us who kind of put the money in on A or B or black or red and cheer when it goes up and, and get sad when the account goes down as though it had something to do with intelligence when in fact it had a lot more do, to, to do with, with luck. Uh, and we've got uh, our good friend, Anthony Graves with Clark Capital uh, to help us look at all of these issues. And we're gonna introduce you to him and have you uh, understand some of the things that Clark Capital does. And by the way, we're guilty too, because I can tell you on, on, this, note, on this subject, I happened to meet the founder of Clark Capital back in the late 90s, long before I met Anthony, uh, Harry Clark, and his sons are now running Clark Capital. And, and by the way, when, when I saw Harry's work and I thought it was very good, but I dismissed it because I thought it was too expensive. And then we came back around after he was doing some work for families and institutions, and then he opened up his shop to bringing in uh, retail money from investors, you and me, okay, 100,000, 200, whatever we might have. And, and we saw this is like now 2000, 2002, what the market did versus what Clark Capital did. And there was a big difference between how one did better, Clark Capital held up better in that first uh, decline that many people experienced of about a 50% loss, 2000 to 2002. So this is all part of, are we getting what we're paying for? Do we know what we're paying for? Is it worth it to us? And, and we'll do the math as well to look at a, an inexpensive account in terms of how it performed versus we'll call it an expensive account, how it performed, particularly in a severe downturn like uh, 2008. Okay, so let me start off by uh, giving you an update in terms of what the markets are doing so far this year, because I think that's important for people to be able to see the, the whole picture, not just what it's doing today. It's kind of hard to get a, a trend line if all we're looking at is the data from every day. So year to date, and that means from January 1 through 3.10 Eastern time, right about now, uh, the, today, the market and on the NASDAQ, and that's primarily the, the market for um, uh, tech stocks is up like 28.7%, almost 28.8% so far this year. That's a very good run. The S&P, notice, is probably a better characteristic of what's going on in the overall economy because it includes the good, the old, the new, everybody, S&P 500, 500 companies. And we see that year-to-date, it's up about 6.63%. This is where it gets a little more interesting because notice the disparity when we look at the Dow. Now, the Dow originally began, I think, as uh, 10 companies that were being followed. Now it's 30 companies that are being followed. It's in negative territory, not quite 1%, 0.72%, so nearly three quarters of 1% in the red. So notice we've got some positions that are in the red, some positions that are pretty good, and some that are just seeming to knock the ball out of the park. I'm trying to say to you that this is, this is some of the data that we look at to see is what happening, is what happening real or is it live or is it Memorex? I mean, is, is it something that's sustainable or is it something that's a little tenuous? So uh, that, that's our year-to-date numbers. And, and again, what we want for you is to discover what is it that you're trying to do and then see if your results might be achieved no matter what happens in the economy. What happens to the stock market? What happens to the real estate market? How can you be whole so that you can read the news, but notice that your accounts aren't doing what they did uh, from February 19th through March 23rd off over 30%. Uh, you're holding up better, which means you don't need a Hail Mary pass just to get back in the game. So speaking of happiness, uh, Daniel, and I found something uh, that was, I, thought, I think it's interesting. We look at this from time to time and it's from the world 
Happiness Report. And it looks at cities and countries around the world to find out uh, which countries declare the, the, the residents there themselves to be happy. And it's interesting that Finland is number one, Denmark's number two, Switzerland's number three, Iceland's fourth, Norway is five, and then we get down to um, Austria is 10th, uh, Canada's 11th, uh, Australia's 12th, the UK is 13th, we're, we're getting close, but <laughs> Costa Rica is 15th, Ireland is 16th, Germany is 17th, and the US is in the 18th spot. So we always like to talk about how we're number one. And frankly, when it comes to this uh, pandemic, I don't want to be number one in the world where we have 4% of the population and 20% of the casualties or the people, the cases, and another 20% of the deaths. That's not the way I want to be number one. But in terms of being happy, uh, I, I'm always surprised to see that our list, where we stand on, on the list, is it's not in the top 10. And, and that has been happening for some time. Now, it, it begs the question, why is it that the, the Nordic countries seem to be happier than most? And I, we find some interesting ex, uh, reasons for that, that they have free education. There's an idea. They have health care that they don't have to pay for, low crime rates, cushy social security nets, pretty much a homogeneous population, and they tend to be pretty prosperous. So it, it, when I had a chance to talk to a two PhDs who are American citizens, but they moved to one of these, to Finland, as I recall, they, uh, they, they said to me, look, we know we pay a lot of taxes, but you know, when we want to go someplace, it, it, it doesn't mean that we have to pay a lot of money for transportation. When we get to the parks, it's free. We like uh, the openness, the cleanliness of the subways, the, the openness of the, the areas that we can visit at, at relatively free or, or no cost. So what it sounds to me is that some people have discovered, these Nordic countries, residents, that they are happy because they're paying for they're paying taxes, but they feel like they're getting something for what they're paying. And that seems so much different than what we're doing from the standpoint we've been told, no, pay the lowest tax, pay the lowest tax. That's what you must do. Uh, make sure you pay the lowest tax. If you do anything other than that, you're absolutely uh, an idiot. But let's recognize that the, the folks that really pay the lowest tax are the top one percenters. The rest of us pay a, a, our share of tax. The, the very, very, very well-to-do do not. And there are those, some who are very, very well-to-do who say, you know, I'd be willing to pay more if we saw more benefit to the education system here in America, we saw better uh, to taking care of our infrastructure, and we saw the government being more accountable. So this is, I, th I thought that was fascinating. All right, so now let's turn our attention to uh, this notion of uh, do investors get what they pay for, um, and uh, should you take a, a loan from your retirement account? So Daniel, you, you see this all the time. Um, and, and let's do the math if we can before the break, but we can do it on the other side of the break to show folks what happens if we, if we take a withdrawal, which of course we need the money right now, but many times we're looking for the easy answer as opposed to the best answer. So this is a tough subject, especially right now in the last nine or 10 months while we're going through the pandemic and people are out of work and they're looking at where they have access to cash and where really where they can get it. And a lot of people tend to turn to their 401k or retirement accounts or rollovers as the first option. We think that's backwards. And what that's a sign of is poor planning. Now, if you're out of work for a year and that's what it comes to, then that's what it comes to. But if you're if you're out of work for a month and you're and you're looking to your 401k or your retirement accounts as as a bridge to keep your life going, then that's a sign of a bigger problem. You're not doing the little things right. You don't have money in savings. You're not keeping your expenses in check. You're not adjusting your lifestyle to 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 changes. So a lot of times we get the question on should I take money out of my 401k or my retirement account? And the answer is usually pretty common. Uh, no, you shouldn't. If that's the last resource, then that that's, could be what it's there for. But the problem is most people have the best intentions to put the money back. It rarely happens. So suppose you took 
a withdrawal from your account of $100,000. And let's say it's a 401k and let's say it was a loan and that, that amount was actually raised this year due to the pandemic, went up from 50,000 to 100,000 and you never put that money back. Well, $100,000 growing at 6% average per year over 30 years grows to 574,000. That's what it really costs you. It's a wow. big price to pay. So let's suppose you actually put, put that money back in, over a 10-year period, because a lot of times from a, when you take money out of your retirement account, you take a loan and you have the opportunity to put that money back over time. And you're paying the money back to yourself so that, that, that actually isn't as bad as paying it back to the bank, but you still lose that growth. So let's suppose it takes 10 years to put that money back. That same 100000 growing over a 20-year period as opposed to a 30-year period at a 6% compounded growth grows to 300000 that's a two hundred thousand dollar difference. It's large. Say that again. How much was the difference? It's a two hundred thousand dollar difference. Okay, at the time so, that you're going to actually need the money. Right. Right. At the most important time. And and folks, we're talking about the CARES Act. That was uh, part of the stimulus package that, uh, uh, at the height of the pandemic, allowed Americans to borrow more than fifty thousand up to a hundred thousand without incurring a penalty. So we see that a number of folks uh, did exactly that. I mean, you know, we're fond of as much free money. At least that's what it looks like when when we do, when we're doing it. But again, we we didn't get a second opinion, okay? Because according to uh, Edelman Financial Engines engines, 55% of those borrowers regret it now, according to their survey. And uh, a majority of borrowers who regret their actions, 85%, said they made the decision because they didn't understand the consequences. So actions that are deemed detrimental to employees, long-term financial security, increased 50% since April, and almost half of them, 45%, directly harmed retirement accounts, such as borrowing from these funds, reducing savings rates, and changing portfolio allocations. So remember, uh, one thing we do um, work for all frontline workers, financial planning, we'll put a plan together with anyone who's a frontline worker at no cost. And we keep using this example of the couple, they're 35, really haven't saved anything, want to replicate to $100,000 in 35 years. That Now they see their target of $2.6 million. So that's a big target, but at least you can see it. Just understand each time we take some out, then obviously that's going to deplete or certainly reduce the amount that we're trying to put behind door number one. And, and that's the real question. What At some point, you are going to stop working. And what money do you have behind door number one that allows you to know that we're going to receive the equivalent of $100,000, whatever your equivalent might be, in 2020 dollars so that we could live the next 10, 20, 30 years receiving the same kind of income without having to go work for that kind of income? So we're going to pick up on uh, this part uh, when we get back from our break. Uh, Daniel, give us our, our instructions, please. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YBPOR.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YBPOR.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medita here. So delighted you could join us today on Wednesday, the 21st of October. And uh, this is Fiscal Fitness. And we want to look at some of the distinctions we see with people who are millionaires and some of their habits as opposed to those of us who are not there. And one of the things that we notice is that uh, the people who happen to have more money, they're not afraid to use the word uh, budget. Uh, they're not afraid to do some math. We think those are some of the characteristics. But it seems as though there's a, a number one difference between those millionaires or the rich. So, and they're not, they don't think of themselves as rich. We work with those who make $40,000 a year and those who make over a million dollars a year. None of them think they're rich, okay? It's just enough to live the way they choose to live, which is fascinating. But Daniel, what did you see from this study? And this came from Yale, a research study, the School of Management and the University of Toronto that uh, did a question, posed questions to almost 2,500 high net worth investors. And that's, of course, with portfolios worth at least $1 million. What was the primary distinction? Well, they, they, list, they listed quite a few, but the one, the one that I gleaned was most important um, was that millionaires in this, in this case weren't afraid of paying for professional advice and then following that professional advice. And one of those things was on asset allocation. Uh, what, what millionaires do is they ask professionals like ourselves on what we think their asset allocation should be, how much stocks and bonds should be in the portfolio and what their portfolio should look like. And what other people do is they, they go with the simple advice of using, of using cheap index funds. That's so true. And um, what we're saying is this, we were working with a uh, physician, $3 million in his retirement plan. Uh, he was uh, convinced that the portfolio expense where he had the money was 1% on an annual basis. Uh, and we were talking about a portfolio like we're going to discuss where the cost was actually twice that, which seems a lot more expensive, 2% as opposed to 1% all in. Uh, now we could question that 1%, but let's accept that as a given. Here's the deal, let's do the math. If you have a, an account with $3 million and the account drops 42%, when the market drops 37%, just to keep that easy, let's say it drops 40, that's a minus of 1.2 from 3.0, leaving you with 1.8, a little more than 50% of what you had, okay? Now, let's suppose that another account where there was more action involved in the account so that instead of holding the same shares as the prices went down like the Titanic, the shares were sold and went into cash to limit the decline during the same period at 20%. So notice now if it's 20% from $3 million, that's minus 600,000, which leaves us with what, $2.4 million. The difference between 1.8 and 2.4 is $600,000 right to your bottom line. So it is the case, as we tried to say to the doctor, I don't, I don't want to think you, I want you to think I'm being flippant, but sir, sometimes we do get exactly what we paid for. And by the way, uh, we happen to notice that uh, you're not the cheapest doctor in town, but sometimes uh, it, it makes sense to really look at what are we getting here? Is this worth paying for? And I would submit that if I could, uh, whatever it would take where I could keep $600,000 more in my pocket, that's probably worth doing, even if I had to pay twice as much. But again, I also am working with a portfolio that's doing more than just being docile and passive and holding shares as the prices are going down like the Titanic. 
So uh, Daniel, uh, give us uh, the, the legalese version. To, uh, let's bring uh, uh, our friend Anthony Graves into the equation so he can help us understand how this actually works because this is the kind of work that they do at Clark Capital. The views expressed express are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views of Clark Capital. The investment strategy or strategy to discuss may not be suitable for all investors. Investors must make their own decisions based on their specific investment objectives and financial circumstances. Economic and market forecasts presented herein reflect a series of assumptions and judgments as of the date of this recording and subject to change without notice. So we'll thank the attorneys for their Full Employment Act. And uh, Anthony, give us a sense for how this work is done, because so many of us are so familiar with the no loads and the exchange traded funds and the, the free accounts that we can open. But for the most part, all of them are passive. The work that you folks do at Clark, we're happy to report. And again, folks, remember, I came across Clark uh, as a result of attending a number of conferences and thought they were too expensive. And then after 2000 to 2002, saw how their accounts uh, on average held up better than the average accounts in, in, in the market because most accounts replicate the S&P 500, the, you know, the indexes. Uh, Clark does not do that. Tell us what, what it is that you do there at Clark Capital, please, Anthony. Yeah, sure. Thank you, uh, first off, John, for having me on the show today. And, and thank you to all the listeners. Um, so I, I think it's kind of easier to understand if, if you think about what is passive investment versus active investment. So passive would just be getting broad exposure um, to uh, uh, the market uh, or buying an index, for example. And, and in that case, you're getting exposure to every single company in that index or every single company in the market. Whereas what we do as far as um, active management goes is you can think about it in, in terms of two types, just to be simplistic, two types of active management. So there is your strategic management, which is more typical, what everybody thinks of when it, they think of active management. That's bottom up. A fundamental analysis of companies, individual stock picking, and that's more of a long-term uh, outlook. And then there's tactical management. And tactical management would be thought of as, you know, a lot of times moving um, wholesale into one sector, into one category, and then moving completely out and into another. So, for example, in 2008, uh, we knew that the market was dropping precipitously uh, so a, a tactical investment would eliminate the exposure to the stock market in a lot of instances and move that into a safer type of investment, such as treasuries or cash. Um, so that, that's kind of the difference between strategic active management and tactical, which at Clark Capital, we employ both. And how do you decide when to move what? I mean, this to some people's ears, this would sound like market timing. And of course, it's not. But to help us understand the difference, please. Yeah, sure. So it is not market timing. So it, it, we're not making um, just guesses or, or throwing darts here. Uh, what we're doing is we're looking backwards on trends. We're looking at the market. We're looking at strength um, and the relative strength of different types of investments. And we know based on history that uh, when one category is gaining strength and one is losing strength, it would behoove us to make that move um, from out of the one that is losing strength and into the category uh, that is gaining strength. So it is all based on research and is all based on history of the markets. Now, we're not always gonna get it correct. It's impossible to get it correct 100% of the time but we don't have to get it correct 100% of the time. As long as we avoid the majority of the downside um, and we gain majority of the upside, we're doing our jobs and the client uh, in the end is gonna come out on top. Well, and let me see if I can break it down a little further, folks. Uh, you remember the movie Karate Kid, Wax On, Wax Off? So in 2008, you started with a portfolio, 95% invested, 5% cash. And most people, that portfolio, those ratios probably maintain themselves for the full year of 2008. Uh, what uh, Anthony Graves is talking about here from Clark Capital is more like wax off in 2008. In other words, moving out of uh, 
shares into cash or alternatives, liquid alternatives, as the market is declining. And this may be every day, every other day, there's no set pattern, but they're responding to what the information is giving them in terms of, is it wax on or wax off? Do we want to put coal on this fire or water on this fire? So instead of being 5% cash, in many cases, uh, our investors saw their uh, account uh, ratio go from 5% to 50% and some to even 100% cash before the end of 2008. That's risk off, okay, or wax off. And then starting March 9th, 2009, well, now it's pedal to the metal. It's full steam ahead. Now we want to move out of cash, the safe vehicle or the alternatives that kept our accounts intact or didn't go down because the prices remain the same and get back into risk assets to enjoy a 26 to 30 percent uh, run in 2009. And, and some of those returns uh, are often net of all fees. But those were the results. So the, here's the math. If, if, if we're off 40 percent, we need like 66 percent to get back to even. If we're off 20 percent, we need 25 percent to get back to even. For us, that's what's so important for people to recognize what kind of loss can you uh, experience what kind of loss might you expect? And is it possible that your portfolio might perform within your parameters so that you know that if another first quarter, February 19th to March 23rd, market was off over 30%, if I'm not mistaken, if your account was off, let's say 6% or 10% or certainly a lot less than 30%, well, now you know that I'm, I'm gonna be okay as opposed to just use hope as a strategy that the price is going to come back. So wax off in 08, wax on in 09, uh, all out to some extent in 08, all in in 2009. That's the kind of action that we like to see in portfolio management so that investors don't have to panic. And that's, that's the point there. You can look at the market panicking, but you don't have to panic if you see that your account is holding up better than the overall averages. Is that a fair assessment, Anthony? Absolutely. I, I think that's a great assessment. And uh, the only thing you know, I would add to that is, to your point, it is more important as you're getting older and starting to reach retirement ages that you want to avoid those downside, that downside, right? Let's um, let's talk about that for a second because that's yeah, an, do the math, that's please. An important point that a lot of people miss. That's the sequence of returns risk. So as you get closer to retirement and or get into retirement, if you see some bad years when you start to take money out or right before you start to take money out, it can really devastate your portfolio. Think about it like this. You go, you're going into retirement, you're expecting to take out a certain amount of money. Let's say you have a million dollar portfolio and you're expecting to take out 40,000 a year. And you happen to see a loss, let's say, let's say that year was 2008 and you lost 37% or 40% on your account. Well, you lost 40% for the market and you're still taking out 40,000 to live off of. So now your account's down on a million dollars, your account's down about uh, 440,000. The next year, the market rebounded, but you still need to take out forty thousand just to keep your just to keep your lifestyle going. So you need to make up the forty thousand you took out last year, the forty thousand you, you you're going to take out this year, and the four hundred thousand dollars you lost in the market. Those losses and those periods of time are compounded and make it so much more difficult to recover. Absolutely. And, and I agree with that uh, 100%. And that's why it's so important uh, to try to avoid those major downsides and those losses, right? And that's where I think tactical management as a portion of a client's portfolio can be very beneficial. Um, and to your point, uh, John, where we can move those assets and avoid that catastrophic loss um, so that we, we aren't, um, you know, completely destroying a portfolio as we head into uh, those retirement years where you are making withdrawals. Yeah, I mean, folks, uh, just to kind of complete the math for you, because we think it's important, that, as I say, budgeting and math are important. They're good habits to maintain. What our parents told us, make your habits and your habits make you. So if it is the case, we're starting with a million dollars, 2008, and let's suppose that between whatever combination of market loss and withdrawals, your account's down 60%. So a million dollars is now worth 400,000. And the industry, our industry, we love the securities industry, have, have told us emphatically, buy and hold no matter what. Daniel, once the account's down 60%, 
what's the math to get that what was a million dollars down that's now 400,000 after the withdrawal and the decline what kind of return do we need to get that 400,000 back to a million dollars the math here the math here is a little counterintuitive so if you're if you're starting with say 100,000 and you lose 60% your 100,000 goes to 40,000 now to make up that difference you need to off your 40,000, you need 150% to get back to even because you need to make 60,000 on your 40. So it's 150% return. 150% return. That sounds like a Hail Mary pass. And if this is from a traditional retirement account, notice the, the, the example that Daniel gave you, maybe you're withdrawing at 3% or it's 4% as you get older, it, it 95 from a traditional retirement account, I believe. The, uh, it's about 11% that we must withdraw. So if that, if that combination of a very bad market turns ugly on you, and of course you need income because you're not working any longer, we want to keep the losses limited to, so that you can see this might happen, I might be able to recover, as opposed to, oh my goodness, I need 150% gain as I'm taking withdrawals that increase from a traditional retirement account every year for the rest of my life suddenly the odds are, well, I mean, well, Daniel, where would you put the odds? Do you have any odds? No, minimal. Minimal at best. Between, you know, nil and none. It's, it's just not going to happen. So that's why part of what we're really delighted to have this conversation with you is to say, when you were younger and, you know, you were making contributions to the account, the market could do a whole lot of things and it really didn't, maybe you didn't like it, but it didn't, it, you could still have a nice day. If it is the case that you need 150% gain uh, to get back to even and you still are taking withdrawals, it's kind of hard to see how you're going to have a nice day for longer than you thought. <laughs> you know, what was a million dollars is now 400,000 and I have to increase my withdrawals from that level. It really makes it tough to try to get back to, the, to even that, that starting value of a million dollars so that you can, you can rest at that point as opposed to watch this account just uh, dwindle every year you have to take withdrawals, which for me just feels like that would be really unfortunate, uncomfortable, and a whole lot of regret. And that's what we're after. We're trying to help people avoid that kind of regret that may last a lifetime as you're looking at, I had it at this level, now it's at that level, and it doesn't look like it's, it's ever gonna come back. So what, what do you do? How, how do you help, that, uh, help investors avoid that experience, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's it. We, we do our best to help avoid that, that experience because it is nearly impossible um, to, to recover from that. So your, your odds of having and enjoying a good retirement are much, much higher if you can avoid those losses. It's everybody likes to talk about and think about and brag about when their portfolio is, is up. Um, but what we are really concerned about is avoiding those downside losses uh, that can be the biggest detriment to the portfolio. So I think that that is um, a key that you've hit on. And I think that's something that most investors um, don't necessarily pay attention to, especially when we're in a market environment um, where we've seen just a handful of stocks, you know, driving the market up so far this year. Everybody wants to, to talk about and clamor about their portfolio uh, being up and their, their investment in Amazon being up so much. Uh, but what they're not preparing for oftentimes is the downside that they can experience um, that that really can uh, can put a damper on your retirement and your portfolio overall. So let's go to break, and I want you to pick up where we left off, please, Anthony. Uh, Daniel, give us our instructions, please, and we'll pick up uh, with Anthony Grace from Clark Capital right on the other side of the break. You can always reach us by email at contact at ybport.com. We're on Twitter at Money on Course, and you can find us on Facebook, Hobby Investors Advantage. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. 
To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. So glad you're back with us, ladies and gentlemen. We're delighted, Daniel Medina and I, John Grace, that you could join us for Fiscal Fitness We have the pleasure of working and talking with uh, Anthony Grace from Clark Capital. He's our regional representative. And we want Anthony to address uh, three things. I mean, there's a lot of talk about uh, changes in what what happens in the White House. And that, of course, relates to how municipalities may be impacted one way or the other. We want to hear what uh, Clark Capital has to say about municipalities and and, and investing in municipal bonds. Uh, The the overall market, we certainly want their their perspective as far as what they're seeing in the short term and the long term. And then, to be perfectly honest, let's talk about fees because they are part of the equation. And as I say, most people don't recognize the fees they pay for. Further, they don't recognize how they might be able to work more efficiently uh, with those fees that, and, and have those fees do a better job of covering their assets, if you will, as opposed to just uh, allowing them to go down like the Titanic. So uh, talk about uh, municipals, uh, Anthony, uh, the market and fees, please. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'll start with, um, I'll start with the municipal market. So one of the big concerns that we're hearing right now from a lot of our clients um, is they're concerned about municipals and the the taxation power of the states and uh, any potential defaults coming. Um, I'll just start off by saying we're, we're not really that worried about defaults. I mean, is it, is it a concern? Is it something that we look for? Yes. But defaults in the municipal market are extremely rare. Um, so it's not something that we're overly concerned about. Now, we do take a look at uh, the debt stack of every municipality that we invest in. And, and it's very clear and simple when you because it's, it's out there. It's, it's public information. And we're able to see the debt stack and we know which municipalities to invest in and which to avoid. So that's pretty easy. The one thing that it actually has, we've seen so far this year and we think we'll continue to see are some downgrades in municipal bonds. So these downgrades, again, are are fairly easy to sniff out. And those are some areas that we wanna avoid, but just in case we want to, and we have been increasing our exposure to higher quality municipal bonds. So these are AAA rated, AA rated bonds. um, And and just in case that bond gets downgraded, we'd much rather own a AA bond that gets downgraded to a single A bond, which is still well within um, uh, what's considered high quality. um, And we're we're able to handle that just fine. So that's first and foremost, we're increasing our quality. Um, Secondly, we're looking for bonds that are backed by property taxes in stable, um, uh, stable areas and areas with growing property tax base. 
Um, so that's very, very important because a lot of bonds or municipal bonds are backed by income taxes. And in times like these, in recessionary times or times, you know, un unprecedented times like the pandemic when so many folks have lost their jobs or in danger of losing their jobs, we don't want bonds that are backed by income taxes. We want bonds backed by property taxes. Then uh, lastly, what I would say is we're looking at revenue bonds that are considered tax-free, um, but these would be essential services bonds. So when I say essential services, think water treatment. So drinking water, uh, wastewater, so things that people will continue to use no matter what. Um, even if we are in a recession, you have to drink water. We all know that. If you don't drink water, you die. Um, people aren't going to stop brushing their teeth. You know, th these are things that are considered essential services. So these are the types of bonds that we look for right now. Why municipal bonds are still powerful is they are still considered a, a um, hate to use this word, but a, a safer type of um, in investment when it comes to bonds. So if you were to categorize bonds, they'd be, municipal bonds would be just below treasuries. Um, so they are very stable. And like I mentioned up front, uh, defaults are extremely rare. And the yields that we're seeing are still extremely attractive. Right now, investors that are looking for income are struggling to find any sort of income. Dividend yields on stocks have been cut. Uh, bank CD rates are are next to nothing right now. So investors are looking for a good quality investment where they can experience and, and benefit from some yield and some income. And munis are still extremely attractive for that right now. And you don't have to pay federal income taxes. And in certain states, you won't have to pay the state tax either. All right. So let's talk about uh, Clark Capital is not a household name. I mean, you, you don't advertise. So most of us uh, uh, think, oh, Harry Clark, what guy? So you must have, what, uh, maybe a couple hundred million dollars under management. What, what, uh, what do you manage right now? And then what, tell us about the fee structure, please. Yeah, so Clark Capital has been in business for over 30 years, about 35 years now. Um, our, our focus it tends to be on a little bit of the higher net worth uh, investor. Now, that doesn't exclude, you know, uh, investors that don't have uh, $200,000, dollars $500,000 to invest. We, we still take on those clients. Um, and because of our focus, because of our active management, and our tactical management, we have grown tremendously over the last several years. So we now manage over $20 billion in assets. Um, so we are, we are one of the top growing asset managers in the country and have been for the last several years. Um, now, where, where our fees come in, so our, our fees are, are pretty simply structured. So we, we charge a flat fee for management. So we just charge a flat fee for active management. Now, I think the broader question is uh, fees in general, right? Um, so, you know, why would an investor want to pay for higher fees versus, you know, going out and buying a, an ETF, a low cost ETF, well, I think a lot of that has to do with the management that comes into play. If you're going to pay for something, you're looking to pay for something of value. So we strongly believe if we can bring value to a client's portfolio, what does the cost really matter? Like we were talking about earlier, um, if we can avoid those downsides, those catastrophic losses, uh, investors should be, um, and, and they should be willing to pay um, for that service. Now, our fees are not exorbitant. Um, our fees are actually on, on what a lot of people would consider the lower end for the work that we do. Um, so bottom line is, if you're going to buy something and it is of value, you're willing to pay what it costs um, to do so. And then what about this? Uh, I think something that's happening right now, especially with millennials, for example, since the what, what I think we will retest that low back in March 23rd, but it looks like a lot of millennial money came in right after that low for the year. And it seems like uh, everybody's in love with Facebook and Amazon, Microsoft, Tesla, Apple, Netflix, and Alphabet. I guess they're called the Super 7 these days. Uh, but the rest of us are absolutely experiencing fear of missing out. So how can you uh, participate, maybe not need to go to the moon, but at the same time, not set yourself up 
for severe disappointment because certainly there are those who feel like you have the smart money and in many of the larger accounts moved more to cash last year. Uh, it's not a very kind way to look at it, but the dumb money is usually gets in last and then gets slapped down like a, a gnat and a, you know, with a splice water. So how, how can you avoid the miss, the fear of missing out at the same time, not set yourself up for real disappointment when this market correction occurs? Yeah, I, I think the answer is fairly simple. It's quality investment management and quality advice um, from from a financial advisor. I, I think that that is first and foremost. You know, we, we have seen this year in particular, those super seven, they've been driving the returns of the market. Um, we keep seeing money pour in to those stocks. That money, as you alluded to, those, those folks pouring money into those stocks right now, they're chasing returns, right? They're managing by looking in the rear view mirror saying, hey, these stocks have done really well, we need to jump in what a quality money manager will do is look out the front windshield, right? And look to see where is the good value. Now, I'm not saying that these are bad companies. We own a lot of those companies, right? Uh, we have exposure to those companies. Now, we don't have the exposure, the overexposure that uh, most investors um, that are clamoring for these stocks have right now. And there's good reason for that. Uh, we're looking for good quality companies that are selling at good value. Uh, right now, if you did a valuation on a lot of those names that we mentioned, the, the value just simply isn't there. Those, are, those stocks are well overvalued at this point, in our opinion. So um, while we do own and have exposure to those stocks, we're looking for companies that are poised to do well moving forward, not looking at companies that have already done well this year and saying, okay, let's chase those returns. That's a recipe for disaster. Um, and we saw it at, at the very beginning of September. If you looked at those Super 7 stocks, um, it, you could see in one week time period, the beginning of September, those stocks on average were uh, down over 13%. Um, so those investors that decided to jump into those names at the beginning of September, they got a rude awakening right off the, right off the bat, right? Their portfolio dropped 13% more and, and greater than that. Um, so that's what we're looking to avoid. That's why we believe in diversification. We believe in tactical management as well. Um, so you need good uh, advice, first and foremost, and then you need good quality money management. So folks, we're, as I say, so delighted you could join us every Wednesday. This is what we do. I hope you enjoyed as much as we enjoy bringing you these messages. And we just want to make sure that, you know, when you, when you invest, don't just throw a dart. What do you own? Why do you own it? What do you want it to do? Do you have a target or is it just a place to make some money? And then uh, what's your sell strategy? I mean, if you get the buy right, but you don't get the sell right or vice versa, that's 50% of the transaction, right? And I think we can all agree 50% on any test is obviously a fail. And, and that's part of our concern that so many people put their money on X or red or black and it goes up and they feel great. Like it had something to do with their intelligence and did not, that's called luck, but they don't have any idea of what they're going to do when things turn around or what they're going to do in anticipation of moving some shares off the table as they're watching the markets decline. So we're delighted to bring this information to you. We look forward to you joining us next week on Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and Daniel Medina here on Voice America. And, and let me just say, folks, that given what's going on right now, I certainly encourage each and every one of us to wash our hands, right, the three W's, uh, watch our distance, and wear a mask because we want to see you here next week and every week that we have the pleasure of bringing this material to you. So with that, we'll sign off for now and look forward to seeing you next Wednesday. you for tuning to fiscal fitness please join john grace and co-host daniel medina again next wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time and 12 noon pacific time on the voice america business channel have an excellent week